Welcome back to the Renaissance. Yes. Here I come, ladies. <laughs> Leonardo. But not six-year-old episode women. Episode two. Sorry, I want to make that clear. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Farm animals that are six years old. Yeah, I mean, duh, no question. But not humans. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Cause oh, I'm a pansy. <laughs> yeah. That's... Fucking soundboard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so where did we leave little Leo? Believe me, not erect right now. I'm flinching. If anything, I'm flinching. Little Leo. Sorry. At the end of our last episode yeah. on Leonardo, he has moved to Florence. Yes. To live with his father because his uh, grandfather, who he was living with, died, right. and his father's wife died, and so there you go. His father brought him to Florence. Now. Leonardo Leonardo's about 12 right. when he moves to Florence and he gets a he gets a basic schooling but he's already showing a lot of interest in art he's obsessed with drawing and sculpting now Leonardo once wrote a poem which opens with this stanza if what you would you cannot then content yourself to will as you may act it is but folly to will what cannot be soon learns the wise to rest his will from bootless wishes free. Damn. What do you make of that, Ray? What's your uh, translation? No one knows more about <laughs> Renaissance poetry than you, Ray. Oh, uh, my God. Explain that to us. Uh, yeah. No, um, no I'm going to not pretend to not be buried by that one, but um, fuck, go after things. Uh, it's all about in the doing. Um, I don't Let me know read it to... again. Yeah. If what you would, you cannot... Then content right. yourself to will as you may act. Right. It is but folly to will what cannot be. Soon learns the wise to rest his will from bootless wishes free. Oh, nice. If there's something that you want but you can't have it, move on and do something you can and do the best you can with what you've got left. Yeah. Now, despite his reputation for being a genius... Right. In the little amount of schooling he got in Florence, he never learned how to use basic algebra that existed at the time, didn't learn to read or write Latin. No. And he was a lefty, left-handed, and wrote from right to left on the page so he wouldn't smudge the paper. Now, I had always been led to believe that his writing was some sort of secret code... I think even when we were talking about Brunelleschi yes. earlier in this very series and we talked about here how he was secretive, we may have talked about da Vinci writing in backwards script to protect his work from other people. Apparently, yeah. at least according to Walter Isaacson's biography, right. uh, it's kind of bullshit. There were, yeah. He didn't do it as some sort of a secret code. It was just because he was a left-hander and he didn't want to smudge the ink that he was writing with, and it was quite common. Left-handers did this sort of thing at the time. There was right. also there was a guide on writing for left-handers yeah. in the Renaissance that said, yeah, this is how you do it, right from right to left. So there you go. But isn't... Myth, blow, myth busted. M- myth busters. There we go. I think someone else has that trademarked. Um, but so weren't his letters reversed as well, writing from right to left, but also the letters were reversed? Yes? Yes, so maybe it comes across as secret handwriting, or I, I mean, I'm sure at the very least the church probably wasn't crazy about it because I remember kids in my school, of course, this was in the 70s, being forced to write with the right hand, even though they were left-handed and there was a lot of crying. But the point is, so yeah, I think this is just something that was, for those that were left-handed, that, that it was enough of them around for someone to actually sit down and write some kind of what standard or script or guide for that kind of thing. So again, I think maybe someone was just trying to blow up the uh the uh Leonardo image or mystery or whatever but it sounds like it was a you know fairly common thing. Hmm. By the way, if you want to have a look at some high res scans of his notebooks, mm-hmm. you can. You can download the full notebooks. You can also go and up look at some high res scans of them um if you go to the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, their website, vam.ac.uk, they own a codex, which they have, uh, it's the Codex Forster, which they've done high-res scans of. Right. 
go and have a look through that. Yeah, well, when are cool. when are we going to put on our black tactical turtlenecks and actually go steal the real thing um, from Bill Gates? That's what I want to. Maybe we shouldn't discuss it right now. Um, later on, yeah. Okay. I don't think Bill's actually sitting on it. It's probably in a vault somewhere. But oh, we can we can easier we can break into a vault. And then we're going to break into the Vatican and get some of their records. But anyway, that's probably best discussed off air. Yes, Ixnay on the op- <laughs> Operation A. Uh, operation A. Shun, shun of, shun a operate. I don't know. I don't know how to speak pig Latin. Neither did Leonardo. Uh, my education which popes, didn't get that far. Which Pope's tomb were we going to break into to see if it was really the remains of Alexander? Oh, God. Saint, well, it's no. It's the the or, supposedly the corpse of Saint Mark there we in go. Uh, Venice. Oh, okay, Saint Mark's Cathedral in Venice. So, yeah. okay, Operation Venice. Somebody call the History Channel. And <laughs> tell them to put that back yeah. on their schedule and book two tickets they to Venice first class. Us. Exactly. Mm. Anyway, where was I? Oh yeah, <laughs> left-handers. Yes. Now he also drew hatching strokes. From most artists, when they're hatching something, like doing shading, they'll go from the bottom left to the top right. I do. He started at the bottom right and drew upwards and to the left. Oh. Or as I like to say it. Sorry, stroke it. Uh, he. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. He did it back and to the left. <laughs> what happened to your head when you got hit? Well, uh, uh, my head went back <laughs> to the left. Say that again. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. So what are you saying? I'm saying that the spit could not have come from behind. (laughs) That there had to have been a second spitter. Behind the bushes on the gravelly road. If the spitter was behind you as you claim, that would have caused your head to pitch forward. So the spit could have only come from the front and to the right. But that's not what they would have you believe. I'm leaving. Jerry's a nut. I love that. I I still think that episode, The Boyfriend Part 1, Season 3, Episode 16, 1992, Mm -hmm. is really when Seinfeld just took it up a notch. When they they came up with taking pop culture things and fucking with them, (laughs) that was really, that was really... Genius, Larry and Jerry just knocked it out of well, the park. I remember when I remember watching that episode when it came out, and I was just like <laughs> in hysterics. Well, there was a, I thought we were going to have another um, Seinfeld moment on the first show because there's this one out of the three early uh, biographies we have of Leo. One of them says that uh, he liked to dress in what rose-colored tunics that only went down to his knees, versus what other men were wearing uh, that were longer tunics. Maybe he was showing off his uh, muscular legs. I don't know. But it reminded me of the scene where Kramer is walking down the street dressed as a pimp. He's got the big hat on. He's got the cane, he's got the cane in his hand, strutting or whatever, and people are calling out. But it just reminded me of that. I mean, just um, the stories that we have about Leo. Unfortunately, we don't know which ones are true and which ones aren't. But again, he was supposedly a beautiful, handsome man with perfect hair, graceful, elegant, and a great conversationalist. Um, I'd love to meet him. That would be really cool. You know he's dead, right? Uh, I have to wait till I go to heaven. Or hell. I'm not sure which one. Getting back to the hatching, yes. uh, the good thing about this is it makes us it makes it easy to tell oh. which works are Leonardo's right. and which aren't because he hatched in a particular style that nice. was unique to him at the time. Now, when Leonardo was 14, according to Vasari, mm-hmm. Piero took some of his drawings and carried them to Andrea del Verrocchio, right. who was his good friend, and asked if he thought it would be profitable for the boy to study drawing. Ah. Now, Piero knew Verrocchio well. He had notarized at least four of his legal settlements and rental documents for him around this time. Mm. We haven't talked about Verrocchio yet, so I thought we should do like a little introduction so we know who this guy is. Uh, Over to you, Ray. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have too much, but I do know from what little I read and remembered that he is 
to a degree, one of the more unappreciated uh, talents of his time, what he was able to do with light. Um, and um, the I, I'm trying to remember, he, he was able to take, when he did like the bronze, was it Jesus and St. Thomas? Oh my God, the, the folds in the robes and that bronze statue was absolutely amazing. So I'm going to let you tell a story, but it turns out that he was actually quite gifted, quite talented, and he's going to teach Leonardo a lot of what he knows. And then Leonardo is going to take that to a whole new level. But this guy had serious game. I'm just not sure he was truly appreciated at the time for what he could do. So, um, Verrocchio was a Italian painter, sculptor, goldsmith. Renaissance man. Sorry. One one of the major workshops in Florence. Right. Um, his greatest importance was probably as a sculptor, and his last work, the statue of Bartolomeo Corleone, mm. not uh, Vito Corleone, right. but Bartolomeo Re- Corleone relation. in in Venice. Right. He was a condottiero. It's him on a horse. Oh, yes. Made in the 1480s, generally accepted as his masterpiece. Um, he also did a painting of the baptism of Jesus uh, that if you've seen my film, mm-hmm. you've seen this because I used it in my film. It's right. a very famous painting. It's uh, got a, a white dove coming down out of the sky beaming uh, oh. death rays and Jesus trying to kill him. Uh, and Leonardo also worked on this painting. He did one of the angels that's at the left of the painting. So it's usually attributed to Verrocchio and Leonardo. Right. Um, but uh, so there you go. That's probably the most famous of his paintings. Right. He... Um, a, he did a bronze statue of David that was commissioned by Piero de' Medici in the mid-1460s, considered a, another masterpiece of his career, earlier part of his career. It was purchased by the Signoria of Florence from Lorenzo Medici in 1476 uh-huh. and is also now at the Bargello in Florence. And it's a very interesting statue. Have you looked at his uh, David? I did. Um, it's it's a four foot sculpture of David when he looks like he's about fourteen years old. Certainly not the the older one. Like when you think of the uh, statue of David, um, he's effeminate. He's pretty. He's practically naked. Um, but what I really loved is that he seems completely like, okay, yeah, I killed this guy and I've got my foot on his head. But what I really liked it about the most was that he looks completely happy with himself. He's satisfied, but yet the grip on the sword that he still has his hand on is 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 pretty intense. So again, Verrocchio, the, the mastery of being able to use bronze in that way, he's able to convey a lot with this statue. I, I again I watched a really long video on it and the talent this guy had is is incredible. Yeah, do you have it? Do you have a picture of it open no, in front of you? No, but I can whip this out. Um, give me one second. Sorry, but go ahead, go ahead, <laughs> pull down your pants. Got it. Lim, her ass was white as snow because <laughs> she had it bleached. The Mary or the lamb? I'm confused. Both uh, two for one, two for one sale that day. It was a memorable day, my friend. Uh, my advice is get the sheep bleached first and then your ass because you don't want to hang out afterward. You just want to go home and put your feet up after good bleaching. Anyway, it's been my experience. <laughs> That's probably the greatest thing I'll ever do on any of these shows. Uh, good night, folks. <laughs> so, giving everyone an opportunity to bring up Verrocchio's <laughs> David. So, yeah, if you start from the head and you scroll, first of all, um, Sorry. beautiful beautiful curls right. in the in the hair, very voluptuous yes. curly hair. Which Verrocchio is. As you say, for. does have like a self-satisfied smile yeah. on his face. I killed like, the motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I killed this motherfucker, yeah. <laughs> but then if you scroll down, the next thing is the uh, frilly nipples or fringed nipples. <laughs> this is what yes. jumps out at yes. me. Yes, they're staring at me. Now... Sorry. Yeah, erect, frilly nipples. Oh. Now, I'm assuming that this is supposedly 
some sort of a chest plate that he's wearing, the but sheer. the rest of it seems it's to sheer. curve with his body. You know, he's got a, with his body, he's Form got his belly buttons there. Right. There's ribs yeah. showing. It's it's very strange. So, uh, I just think, I just think that maybe, yeah. um, you know, he he did. He was born David with fabulous fringe nipples, with fringe um, on top. Yeah. Now, the thing is, right. scholars tend to think that Leonardo was the model for this statue. Ah, yeah. He's about the same age. He's beautiful. He's sort of. Halfway between Donatello's sexy twink David yes. that we talked about back in the Donatello episodes and yeah. Michelangelo's bodybuilder Schwarzenegger David, <laughs> uh, he, he's a little bit more twinky than Schwarzenegger. But um, yeah, see what people don't understand is that Leonardo actually did have fringe nipples. Like some people, oh. like me, are born with a third nipple. Right. Leonardo <laughs> was born with uh, fringed <laughs> nipples. And that's right. when you when you're looking. If you ever want to know how much of a genius someone is, right. you know, look at the nipples. You, bottom bottom rung right. is basic two nipples. Right, right. Then you go oh, up to the I didn't the third that. nipple. Right, is the next rung up, right. and then above that is just two, but they're fringed. Yes. If above that is all three, you have three, and they're all fringed. Wow. That I. That's basically you're the one. You're Neo. Uh, you know you can. I'm learning you so can, much. You can, you can do bullet time right. and the whole deal if you have three fringe nipples. Um, but if you scroll down further on the picture, you'll yes. see that arm, his right arm, that's holding the sword. Yeah. The, the veins. veins. Yes. That pop He's out gripping on it. that, and the mus. The definition of his muscles. It's beautiful. Uh, that, are, that are popping out where he's exerting effort yeah. and holding it tightly, as you said, is incredible. Yeah. Look um, at the fingers on the other hand, the free hand. Look at the, the detail. On yeah. The, oh my God. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. No, it's amazing. But look at that amazing. luxurious beard and the hair, because I think you oh, were saying this earlier, yeah. Verrocchio was known for uh, incredible curls and Leonardo's going to take that to a whole nother level. But the hair, the beard, the facial hair, and even on uh, David... Absolutely magnificent, the detail. Yeah, really yeah, wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Um, so there you go. So Vasari says that Verrocchio sculptures were usually pretty rough and workmanlike, right? But that this was an exception. This blew everyone away, yeah. possibly due to the influence or inspiration of Leonardo. He's only young. He's only just joined. Mm-hmm. His uh, workshop, because that's what happened. Ferrocchio saw the pictures that Piero showed him and went, "Oh yeah, fuck yeah, bring this guy <laughs> hey, in. Leonardo, uh, this kid needs to come. Take off for your him. clothes. Yeah. I hold the sword and smile. Now don't move for three days. All right, I, that's the best I can do. I love your nipples. You must be a model. <laughs> I'm going to ignore the third nipple. So Ferrocchio <laughs> took Leonardo on as an apprentice, and it was there that he learned the basics of his craft. He learned how to depict. Anatomy, yes. uh, mechanics, drawing techniques, light, shade on material like clothes and draperies. Mm-hmm. And when he arrived there in 1466, Ferrocchio's workshop was in the process of designing an ornate tomb for Cosimo de' Medici. Wow. Sculpting the bronze statue of Christ and St. Thomas that you mentioned before and I'll talk about a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Designing... Uh, banners of white taffeta gilded with flowers of silver and gold for a pageant. Right. Curating the Medici's collection of antiques and generating paintings of the Madonna for merchants who wanted to show off (laughs) their wealth and their piety. So his is one of four or five workshops like this in Florence. They're all commercial workshops, not fancy art schools. Exactly. This, they're more like a jeweler or a, a cobbler's workshop. They, these are places that, where, that make things on commission yeah. 
And they're churning churning shit out yeah. as quickly as they can. It's just high quality. It's not fancy. Exactly. I mean, well, yes, the the, the, te- the technical skill behind it. But yeah, I mean, you're right. They are literally producing stuff to sell. This is not a little dainty art studio, like you said. These guys are putting it out because they got to get paid. They work on the ground floor. They live on the upper floor, like all the other businesses in Florence. But but this is a place that produces stuff and has to turn over a profit every month. But if you if you've been given a commission by a Medici and you're doing the tomb for Medici. Obviously, you're one of the more successful ones because you're getting an incredible commission to do this for them. It reminds me of the place where Ian Kath, my friend, works. Uh-huh. Um, he works at a commercial sort of art studio here in Brisbane. Right. Basically, if um, if a city council or a corporation commissions an artist to produce, or, or, or the art gallery of Brisbane uh, commissions an artist to do a sculpture. Mm-hmm. The artist will do a small model of it uh, and then take it to Ian's company. Say, what do you think? And Ian right. Ian and his guys will figure out how to do a massive version of it. Can I ask you? Know, you? They, right, sorry. They, sorry. Yeah. I was going to ask real quick, um, for Verrocchio, and I think you probably said this earlier, rarely did anybody work on something all by themselves. It truly was a team effort. Is that the way it is for your friend as well? Do they all pitch in or is he the, the main artist? Because there it was literally everybody got to jump in and contribute something. So it wasn't just known as a particular artist's work. I wonder if that's still how they do things nowadays. Yeah, I think the guys there have different um, expertise uh-huh. in different things. Okay, like they've got like Ian's got a workbench where he literally works with tools right. and produces stuff, uh, and then they have everything from that to like laser, you know, printers and three D printers, laser cutters. Wow, he gave gave us and Fox a tour of it uh, a while back before lockdown, and. Um, and it was, yeah, it was amazing, yeah. man, just to see how it all works. Working there. with your hands uh, and tools, that's cool. I have no skills. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah, but no skills. Yeah, me either. <laughs> but it's amazing what they what they produce, like massive things. Right. When we got there, they were producing a, uh, a playground in the shape of an old Persian boat wow. on its side that, that was... I don't know, 20, 30 metres high and probably 50 metres, well, not 50 metres long, maybe 20, 30 metres long, mm-hmm. maybe 15 metres high, that that they then shipped to, I think it was <laughs> Qatar, where Martin Darlington flies helicopters. In fact, I keep telling him. I didn't keep telling I, I did tell Martin Darlington he needs to do a flyover and send us video for it. If you're listening to this MD, I'm not even sure if you're back in Qatar or if you're still in the UK. Right. You find the find the playground, the boat playground, and send it to us. Yeah. Might be in ground. Uh, I mean, I mean, might be inside. Yeah. Might be um, just uh, uh, yeah, make it happen. But amazing, like they they get commissions from all over the right. world. They build these massive sculptures, and they send them. Anyway, so it's a workshop, yeah, and there were like in the downstairs area, there were would have been kilns and workbenches right. and pottery wheels Noise. and metal grinders yeah. and yeah, it's a workshop. It's dirty. Yeah. It's hot. It's a workshop. Yeah. And as you say, they, they would have lived upstairs, lived and ate upstairs. Now, the paintings and the sculptures that the workshop produced weren't signed because they weren't supposed oh. to be seen as the product of individual expression. Right. These aren't artists trying to produce Artisans. something and putting their name yeah. on it. These, As you say, they're collaborative efforts. They're just finished products from the workshop of Verrocchio. And, and he's obviously got a reputation for right. producing relatively high-quality work. The Medici and people come to him and say, "Can you do this? Yep, I can do it." And then he and his kids exactly work yeah. away and produce it. And, yeah. and and it is a shop that has a lot of kids, you know, um, apprentices, whatever. And so yeah, you got to bring them on. They got to get hands-on experience. So it is a team effort. And fortunately for Leonardo, from what we know, Verrocchio was a very nice person. He was a, a very uh, gentle teacher, and he would. But at the same time, he does put Leonardo through the ringer as far as learning all these different things that he'll need to know one day. So, again, Leonardo was in the perfect place. The guy's got the right temperament, and he was probably a very good teacher. And Leonardo was more than happy to have all this information poured into his head. So artists back in these days weren't seen as creative geniuses. They're working class schmoes. (laughs) Basically, they're podcasters. They work hard for their money. So hard for it, honey. <laughs> so you better treat them right. Now, but as we know, as I said uh, earlier, this was changing. Yes. Um, they, some of them were breaking the chains. They were becoming or would become highly sought after. And as you start to get highly sought after, 
you can charge more, you, you can choose who you work for, what kind of work that you do. Right. Now, Verrocchio was trained as a goldsmith, so he tended to leave a lot of the painting to others. Oh. And apparently he was a pretty nice guy yeah. to have as a master. A lot of his apprentices continued to live with him even after they had graduated from their apprenticeship wow. and gone on to be working artists in their own right. Yeah. Others, like Botticelli, didn't start with him, yeah. as we know. He started with uh, Lippi, but he would hung, hang around Verrocchio's workshop just to learn from him yeah. and to be close to him. So he, apparently he was a pretty nice guy, but he was also a little bit slack. Yeah, so there, there are times when, and I don't even... He was the Ray yeah. Harris of <laughs> right. the Florentine but art world. For, for, for Verrocchio, it's actually, no, it's bad either way. But anyway, so, but sometimes when you have commissions, you have to be a taskmaster. You have to get stuff done on time because these, these nouveau riche are wanting to put something in their house or whatever. And they want to, like you said, they want to show how much money they got. And yet they're still pious or whatever. And sometimes, uh, Verrocchio would not finish something on time or he would hold a painting sometimes for years because it just wasn't right to him or wasn't done or whatever. So nice guy, great teacher, but at the same, sometimes you just got to be able to draw a line under something, finish it and move on. Not exactly his forte and whether it is, whether that same trait was innate in Leonardo, we don't know. But he's going to be another person, and maybe he picks it up from Verrocchio, that generally, in ways, doesn't finish everything he sets his mind to. And it's going to annoy a lot of people. But so whether it was learn or innate, but the point is, he's actually seen his master kind of, you know, mess up a, a couple of deadlines. But they're artists. You, you can only argue so much with people who are talented. Yeah, you can whip them. <laughs> what is the Medici, who did they try and Oh, and they in? locked in a room? Was it? Yeah. And he, he tied a rope or sheets and he crawled out the window and... Was it Lip... Filippo? I think it was Lip. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was before they sent him to the monastery right. where he knocked up a nun. <laughs> hey, let me paint yeah. you. Let me fuck you. Let, what did I... know I said, let me paint you. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> um... Now, Verrocchio was quite good at showing movement and motion in his sculptures, mm. another thing Leonardo would surpass him in. If you look at that statue of Christ and St. Thomas yeah. that you mentioned briefly earlier, um, Jesus is holding his arm up in the air going, smell my B.O. Right. And <laughs> Thomas is uh, trying to poke his fingers in Jesus' yeah. holes. Where's your hole? Jesus, Tommy boy, right. is saying, hey, yeah, <laughs> stick, it in here. stick it in, big boy. Um, now, this was made for one of the 14 niches on the exterior walls of Osama Kelly oh. Church in Florence. Right. It's now a museum on the inside, and the originals of the statues are all on the inside, and they have casts outside oh, so next time you're in Florence right. you can see the, the copy on the outside but go inside to see the real thing um, so Jesus is lifting up his arm saying stick it in here big boy <laughs> now Thomas of course <clears throat> according to one tradition uh, he's known as Doubting Thomas right. is Jesus's twin his identical oh, twin in a sculpture because oh. his face is kind of away from us or at least in the photo that I'm looking at I can see Jesus front on Oh, yeah. So the reason he's supposedly his twin right. is because Thomas uh, in Aramaic means twin. Oh. So, uh, again, a little bit of uh, deep, deep secret Christian <laughs> doctrine here. Right. Look. Um, yeah. yeah, they go, Jesus returned. Jesus had an identical twin. Oh, snap. Yeah. So all of Christianity yeah. is built on a falsehood because he didn't come back. His twin brother just rocked up one day. Yeah, I'm t Jesus. How's it going? I just came back from heaven. I had to say good. I said hey, hi to my father up in heaven. How's how's you? Yeah. People doing? <laughs> People are like, yeah. He didn't live. He lived in Galilee and he rocked up <laughs> into Jerusalem. And they're like, <gasps> like a week after Jesus, Jesus. died, he heard. He, he came to, you know, uh, inspect the body or whatever, identify the corpse, right. the coroner, and, and he rocked up and, every, and the, the apostles are like, holy shit, <laughs> Jesus, you're back. He goes, what? No, I... They go, no, it's you. He goes, well, no, no. And they go, What's oh, in it for me? 
You can't Sorry. trick us, <laughs> Jesus. It's ah, you. Tricky Messiah. Goes, no, 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 no. And they go, oh, Mary Magdalene's going to be so excited. Oh, I'm she's Jesus. Like, she, she's going to... She's going to fuck your brains right. out. He goes, which one's Mary Magdalene? They go, that one. He goes, uh, yeah. yeah. <coughs> no, I am. No, I am Jesus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is Jesus' yes. penis right here. Yeah. 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 No, but seriously, look at the statue. I mean, look at the hair on both of them. The beard. That is amazing. Curls and fold, and the folds. Oh, my. Anyway, I just love that one. But uh, the, the detail is incredible. Yeah, so, uh, you know, he's uh, Thomas is turning yes. his body to stick his fingers in. Jesus is turning and holding up his, right. his arm. And, like, this is a big deal. Yes. To show this level of detail uh, is uh, yeah. it was a big deal. It was tricky. And it's probably inspirational, then, too, right? for the people looking at it. Because they literally look like they're moving. You just caught them in a second of, you know, not moving. But, I mean, it looks lifelike. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean the the realism of yes. uh, these things, and again, keeping in mind that people didn't have many books, right. uh, they couldn't read even if they did have books. So they're they're learning through art. Mm-hmm. That's how they that's how they uh, remember stories or learn stories. It's through looking at pictures. Yes, and statues. So yeah, Kenneth Clark. Um, famous historian called this statue the first instance in the Renaissance of that complicated flow of movement through a composition achieved by contrasted axes of the figures which Leonardo made the chief motif of all his constructions. Wow. And and I think it was one one of the very first episodes of the Renaissance. You said something like the chief aim of an artist is to make even though it's on a two-dimensional plane, to make it look three-dimensional. And that kind of uh, talent Leonardo has in here, he's able to take something that is not moving, but make it look like there is movement going on at the time. Just just an incredible achievement, considering what the medieval art looked like a couple hundred years ago. Mm. Mm. Everybody was flat. Yeah. Kenneth Clark, by the way, yeah. uh, wrote what has been called one of the best introduction to the art of Leonardo da Vinci ever written. Oh, cool. Good for him. So uh, people are looking for Christmas gifts. that. Yeah. Check out, yeah. <laughs> check out <laughs> Kenneth Clark's uh, book on da Vinci. Right. Um, where were we? Right. So, yes. He also, Leonardo, this is, learned from Verrocchio about the beauty of geometry. Now, as said before that after Cosimo de' Medici died, mm-hmm. Verrocchio was commissioned to design a tomb for him made of marble and bronze, right. finished in 1467, about a year after Leonardo became his apprentice. And instead of religious imagery, as you would normally get on a tomb, mm-hmm. this is uh, got geometrical patterns on top of it. A circle inside of a square, right? which uh, da Vinci later on would use for Vitruvian man. Uh, can I ask real quick? Have you... Just real quick, I'm sorry. Do you th- yes, you can, Thank you. Ray. Please... Ray Harrison, the Please front. ask yeah. real quick. Do you think Cosimo yes. requested that? I mean, I imagine someone as, in- as educated and as intelligent as Cosimo probably would have designed to a degree his his tomb as opposed to just, oh, whatever you think. And I just find it interesting that, that if he did design it to whatever degree himself... Uh, and he didn't choose religious imagery. I, I just I wonder if um, he just said, well, fuck it, I'm Cosimo. Two, I'm dying, I'm dead, I can do whatever I want, obviously, by the time this is made. I just find it interesting that he kind of turns away from what would probably expected to do something like this. Yeah, I, I'm guessing that he probably uh, commissioned his own tomb. Mm-hmm. It's not like he died a young man. As we know, Cosimo died an old man. Right. And, uh, you know, would have had some say in the time to think about. And um, yeah, do you have do you have a do you have a picture of the tomb in front of you? Uh, No, let me because I can now. Yeah. So you've got for those of you who aren't looking at it, you've got uh, a circle with two. um, What would you call those? Not oval, but almost like triangle. Not shit. 
uh, rectangle, but the ends are round and not cornered off. That's great. No, you did a great. That was a really great. Uh... <laughs> you know, you could have just said no, Ray. I think there's a better way to say it. But no, you go for the testicles. Every single fucking time. No, I, I, no, I see these complex patterns and I know they make sense to somebody as far as ratios and colors and all this shit, but it's way over my head. I just say they're, they're ovals. Oval. They are ovals, but go. they're elongated ovals. There we go. So it's a circle inside of a square. Right. Now, squaring the circle was uh, obviously a, a famous problem. Ancient mathematicians tried to solve how do you square a circle dante mentioned it right and and it was used symbolically as a representation of the limits of terrestrial knowledge Ooh. we we can come up with all sorts of clever shit but it's still we're inside of a box you right. can't get outside of the box <laughs> right. you know? yeah um and then you've got these interlacing ovals in the side sort of something like a solomon's knot that had various uh, symbolism attached to it it supposedly represents eternal motion and the unification of time and space. Sure, Doctor. And there are there are little circles and bronze inlays in the middle of it. I, I've read one theory is that it was supposed to represent Cosimo's place in the universe, like the central place for Cosimo. He's in the middle of. If you think about those ovals, there is you know when you the old. Um, Bohr Adam pictures from the 50s where you have like three ovals mm-hmm. uh, interlocking right. for the for the atom. Right. I think this is a similar sort of thing. Like gotcha. he's uh, in the middle of all of these intertwining forces. Cosmo sits in the center of the cosmos, which is why his name is Cosmo. Gotcha. Cosmo, cosmos. <laughs> he is the center of Florence. Well, he was. That's true. The center for a long of time Florence. Too. Yeah, yeah, he made everything happen yeah. so like it's an amazing uh, amazing piece of work not only for how attractive it is but for the symbolism that mm-hmm. is involved there and what it's you know for the time in particular what they're saying about cosmo right um it's it's not a religious work it's depicting science and reason and logic and his importance in the universe wow. and all this kind of jazz Astounding stuff. But the point I wanted to make yeah. is that uh, it was all about geometry. Yeah. And uh, Leonardo obviously became very passionate about geometry, as we know. Yeah. And that's pretty good for someone who um, started off with just basic commercial math that he learned at the Abacus School. Uh, but but Verrocchio is going to take him to a whole nother level. The connection between math, geometry, musical scale, all the proportions, you know, all that stuff. Uh, he's going to get quite an education uh, working with this guy. Again, just one of those things that really worked out for Leonardo. Yeah, I mean, I imagine regardless of which workshop he ended up in, he probably that's would true. have done well. Because it's Florence. But, you know... But he had a father who was prepared to go and, you know, uh, uh, take his drawings to Verrocchio. Yeah. He could have said, nah, just go get a job, yeah. fucking sweeping streets, you dumb shit. But he was like, no, he was obviously a good father yeah. and uh, looked after him well and, you know, got him put in a good place. Right. But, uh, you know, maybe another artist wouldn't have introduced him to as much geometry. Uh, we don't know. Yeah. Now, about two years later, Verrocchio's studio was given the job of mounting a two-ton ball on top of Brunelleschi's dome. Right. Now, you've had a few balls on your dome over the years, Ray. And as you know, it it's, consensual. A, it's a very delicate it job. It is. It is. Ba- it's all about balance. It's teabag, I think, is uh, how it's referred to. It's a less g- glamorous way of saying it. <laughs> well, te- teabag is technically <laughs> someone puts their balls in your mouth. Right. But you know, they start they, by putting them on your head. Right. And they work their way down. And then s- yeah. slowly... <laughs> Slowly work their way down and, over your eyes, yeah. over your nose, and ironically, and into your mouth. Right, that's the foreplay. I, I learned a lot that night in Vegas. Anyway, <laughs> now it was erected in 1471 when Leonardo was 17, and he talked about it decades later in one of his notebooks. Yeah, 
it inspired in him a love for the interplay between art and engineering. Now, mm-hmm. the ball was made of stone mm. wrapped in eight sheets of copper and then gilded. Right. And obviously they had no welding torches at the time. Yeah. So the sheets of copper which were triangular, had to be soldered together using concave mirrors about three feet wide that would concentrate sunlight into a point of heat hot enough to solder the copper. Make do. Now, imagine that. That's insane. Yeah. So... The three feet wide mirror, you're not, they're gonna, you're not gonna sit there and hold it for a long time. I guess it's in a stand or it's in something. This must have been physically daunting to do this, but like you were saying, the geometry behind it is also impressive as well. But they're gonna take this ball that's the stone that's huge, they're gonna put eight sheets of copper around it, they're gonna weld it together, they're gonna gild it, and then they have to lift it up to get it above the dome. The entire thing smacks of freaking genius uh, technology. And it's just amazing that he was there to be a part of it. The technology, yeah. the techno- and of course, the tech- some of the technology that was used to lift it up belonged to Pruderleski. Because remember, we talked about all the things that he invented just to be able to create the dome himself. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, uh, massive piece of engineering. Yes. And these guys had to put the ball on top of it. Now, do you remember what happened to the ball? Um, someone slipped up because at some point it fell and they've marked it in the street of Florence where it fell. I don't know if anybody was killed, but I'm sure several pants were shit that day. But at some point it falls off, and I guess they got to put it back up. Well, it was uh, struck by lightning. Oh, that'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah. Okay. In uh, 1601, I'm sure it that was struck by lightning. Someone saw that and... as a sign. Anyway. It got detached, rolled down (laughs) the cupola. Jesus. And landed in the square below. Jeez. Can you imagine? And there's a marker still there. I've seen it. I think we saw it when we we were there. We walked over it, yeah. Well, we were were smart enough to walk around it because the ball might fall again. I think we walked around. We pointed (laughs) and walked around and kept going. Yeah. There's the spot where the ball fell. Let's get out of here. (laughs) Yeah. Now, it weighed 2,000 kilograms, two tons. Damn. Imagine that thing falling down. Right. The noise of rolling down. Yeah. And then hitting. Uh, Well, just, yeah. I mean, just. uh, It had to shake the ground. I mean, come on. Yeah. How is that not a sign from God? Lightning and the ball falls? Come on. Someone interpreted yeah. that. Anyway. And it, it landed landed on a guy, <laughs> and uh, he's underneath that marker still. <laughs> he's about the size of a dime, but he's still there today. Like, I'm all right. <laughs> I'm fine. Somebody let me out. And just imagine the the geometry that was needed to calculate nope. the angle of the rays and to grind the curve of the mirrors. Damn. You had to make your own mirrors. Can I just buy now, it? Leonardo goes on later on yeah. and designs in his notebooks mirror-making machines. Right. How to make concave mirrors using a machine. Um, that he came up with two in his notebooks. One is for doing concave mirrors with a small focal length. The other is to have much larger focal lengths. Right. They're sort of hand-cranked. I've got a photo of one in, fr- in front of me here of a, a construction of one, reconstruction of one. Mm-hmm. It's basically a, a, grinder, a grinding machine that moves the mirror around in such a way that it grinds uh, concave Mirror. Right. But um, there you go. Like, uh, amazing, amazing shit. I, I have to ask, was it, re- refresh my memory, because was it, was it Gutenberg? We were talking about concave or convex mirrors when they were trying to capture the sunlight coming off of some religious relic that they would then sell. Not so, sunlight. Sunlight. I can't Magic remember. rays. Magic rays. Thank you. I'm sorry. I sound stupid by saying sunlight. Yeah, and they... Uh, they they sold them and they put them in a little something you could buy and then you could heal people with it. 
you, I'm just trying yeah. to remember. Oh my God, there's things once come once up a there. year, right? They would bring out the holy <laughs> hand grenade of Antioch. <laughs> now the holy relic, I think it was Saint John the Baptist's finger or Jesus's foreskin like or one that. of those. Yeah. I can't remember which. And they would. They would bring it out right? and they would suspend it yes. up in the air. Yes, like you just don't care. And Sorry. Sorry. People would <laughs> use uh, concave mirrors to capture the holy healing rays <laughs> from the artifact. Sell that. Because he, he, he had to generate some money. That's how... Yeah. yeah, that's how he made money right. before he got into the printing press business. He so, would make those uh, yeah. mirrors. So yeah. can I just real quick, on one hand, you've got people trying to capture the holy healing rays on, onto this mirror. And a couple of years later, you've got this incredible engineering marvel of lifting a two-ton stone wrapped in copper way high above uh, the dome which has got a cupola. I mean, it, it makes no sense. These two things should not be happening in the same universe. you got this religious stupidity. You've got this incredible engineering, and it's happening in the same city, and it's not that far apart as far as time goes. I, Again, Florence is an incredible place. Yeah. Jeez. Well, it's a mixture of uh, religion and art and science, yeah. engineering, all coming together. Jeez. Leonardo was obsessed with these mirrors. Mm -hmm. He would call them fire mirrors. <coughs> Over the years, he would make 200 drawings in his notebooks right. to show how to make concave mirrors that'll focus light rays from various angles. 40 years later, when he was working in Rome on huge curved mirrors mm -hmm. that might take the heat of the sun and turn it into a weapon... <gasps> Death ray? Yeah, he was trying to invent... <laughs> Death lasers. And then, you know, people don't realize this, but yeah. actually Darth Vader sure. took Leonardo's notebooks and that's where the Made Death Star came slightly from. Slightly bigger. Yeah. He actually invented the Death Star. If you look at his notebooks, yeah. there's actually the Death Star. He was like, yeah, one of these days. This is an idea. I'm going to build one. Yeah. Someone's going to build one of these things. Now, uh, when he was trying yeah. to build the sun weapon, right. he jotted in his notebook, remember how the ball of Santa Maria del Fiore was soldered together in sections? Right. So years, decades later, he was still thinking about that as an example or something that he could turn into a weapon. That's incredible. Uh, two observations. One, I think uh, Leonardo might have been disappointed that it didn't make a sound. Like, pew, pew, pew. I don't know. I wasn't there, but... If I was going to kill you with my... Which one? The Death Star? No, no, or, no. Or the con his version. Yeah, yeah, the, the concave mirror. Because the Death Star one definitely Oh, it, oh, it did. Sound, no, it, it did. wasn't pew, it, pew. It no, was it was... A <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely had that. sound, thanks to the sound effects department. But if I'm going to kill you with my heat mirror, how long do I need you to hold still? Uh... Yeah, a bit. Everyone <laughs> just stand still. I want to take your picture. To, to, 20 minutes right. should be enough. <laughs> Here, have a fresca. And, and then... The way you got them to do it, the, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to beam you with our holy healing oh. rays. Oh, that's good. See? That's good. Yeah. And then... Yeah. Uh, so if you had a, uh, a curved mirror, what part... Where would you point it at on your enemy? Uh, on the head? Uh, ruin their fighting arm? Would you take out a hip? I'm just, I'm just curious. So... Would you write your name in their chest? I, I, I'm just. You curious. would probably use it actually to uh, set the battlefield on fire. Oh, you put it on a hill, right? And just aim it at the enemy's. Surround them uh, with you know, fire. Got, yeah, two enemies yeah. facing each other off. Yeah, you just set their set their part of the battlefield mm, on fire. That's not as sexy, but but that makes sense. That that's actually a good idea. You're, you're hoping it'll cut them in half, like <laughs> Superman's heat vision. Yes. Is or, that so wrong? Homelander. Have you, Homelander, have you yes. watched The Boys? Oh, yes. Yeah? Homelander. I love that show. Love that show. <laughs> People, Homelander's just misunderstood. That's all. That's all. I just saw <laughs> the final episode of season two. Oh, my God. Yesterday. Right. Where he's he's standing on top of uh, like a, a building overlooking the city and he's pants are down and he's jerking off <laughs> with his heat vision going, I can do whatever I want. That's right. He's looking down, he's master. jerking off on the city. <laughs> I'm the master of my domain. Or, or maybe not. I yeah. don't know. But uh, yeah. yeah. Fuck. And, and if, you, if you think about it, I mean, to have someone like Superman who goes unchecked, 
yeah, he's probably mm. going to go down a dark path. I, I think that's I think it's incredible what they're what they're either doing or saying with that show. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, just to finish up, uh, another person that influenced Leonardo outside of Verrocchio was Verrocchio's primary competitor in Florence, Antonio del Pollaiolo. Pollaiolo, <laughs> right? Pollaiolo. Wow, don't hurt yourself. Um, I think we've talked about him before. We've, we've mentioned him. Pollaiolo, 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 I mean, Antonio del Pollaiolo. <laughs> do you want to be alone with your tongue? Yeah, I do. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> he did a lot of nudes, so I'm sure we brought him up. So, yeah, because that's the battle of us. the nude men yeah. we've talked about before. Yeah, it's hot. Yeah. Uh, you can tell one side or the other by he, the headbands. Go ahead. He did the tomb of Pope Sixtus IV, mm-hmm. Pope Sixty, and I know it, in uh, St. Peter's. Right. Um, can't exactly remember how he's... I think, oh, yeah, he uh, he was uh, Ghiberti's master. Right. Ah. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, how he came up before the Battle of the yeah. Nude Men, uh, Ghiberti, etc., etc. Did lots of, uh, uh, oh, yes, he, and he did the paintings of Hercules. Right. Hercules in the Hydra, where Hercules has got a, a lion's paw hanging over his nutsack. <laughs> When he's beating a hydra to death, right? With a with a log, yeah. That was Polywolo. Um, anyway, the, uh, uh, he was doing a lot of uh, paintings and sculptures involving moving and twisting bodies. Yeah, and he was also doing dissections of dead bodies to study anatomy. Yeah, he was Dexter. So yeah, yes, he was Dexter. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, uh, Vasari, talking about Polywolo, said he was the first master to skin many human bodies in order to investigate the muscles and understand the nude in a more modern way. I, I appreciate So, uh, Leonardo yeah. Yeah. looked at that and went, Oh, oh we yeah, can do that? dead people over. I can do that? Yeah, holy. I thought it was a sin. I just assumed it was a crime and somebody, fuck me. Where's my knife? Yeah. But but that's the dedication. I need to literally cut the skin off to look at the bones and muscles underneath to truly get a sense as an artist of so the next time I create something I can I can see the muscles that I'm actually trying to convey under the skin. So I, I mean just I would never think to do that but these guys were literally trying to take it to the next level to be as lifelike as they can with their art. Yeah. Damn. So that's some of Leonardo's inspirations uh, that gets us up to when he's about 17 and uh, he's getting ready to go off and do his own stuff. But that'll be next time. Uh, Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Ball Boys. Uh, We'll be be back. uh, And next time on the episode where you you will hear Ray say... Black Jesus. (laughs) I would suck his dick. So he can be the princeps. Ooh, good move. I say that every week. I'm coming. Oh, so fuck me. All right. <laughs> <laughs>